Good evening, sports world. What is good? Chris Dell here from Go Baller FFS and the Family Feud Sports Podcast, here to bring you our weekly triple-double podcast powered by Go Baller, here to talk some NCAA hoops, some March Madness, some Final Four action, and a little bit of NBA talk tonight here with the godfather, Mr. Alan Dell, my co-host. I'm your host, Chris Dell, the mad journalist, and jumping right into things, a little bit of a throwback Thursday edition, the first game on the docket, Loyola Chicago, Sister Jean, your girl right there, going up against the Michigan Wolverines, maybe a blue blood, maybe not. But I want to take it back here to 1963, which is the last year, 55 years ago, that Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers, won a national title for the men's college basketball team. Mr. Allendale, you were a young pup back in 1963. You got you got some history and some facts to throw at, throw at us this way, huh? Well, first of all, it was the only title that Loyola Chicago won men's basketball. But uh, okay, okay. But uh, the the decade of the 1960s, I think was the most turbulent decade in my lifetime and, and really in the entire century, uh, 20th century. Uh, but uh, things have changed a lot. And the biggest news in 1963 was the assass- assassination of then-President John F. Kennedy. Uh, we also, in that decade, we had Martin Luther King assassinated. And then Bobby Kennedy, who won, after he won the... Uh, Democratic primary in California was assassinated. Oh, but, so not not a good year outside of no, Loyola, no, no. Chicago for that year, yeah, huh? Well, that's a decade. But in '63, yeah. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. But just to give you an idea how different it is, a, a, a Coca-Cola 33 liter cost five cents. Now it's a dollar fifty. Uh, McDonald's Big Mac back in '63 cost 28 cents. If you Youngsters can't believe it, and now it's three ninety nine. Did you used to eat Big Macs back in the day? Everybody, Mr. Ate, everybody ate Big Macs back, back then. So. <laughs> and uh, gas, gas was thirty two cents a gallon back then, and now its its average is about three twenty a gallon. But re- just remember, wages were not that high then. The average average weekly wage was about eighty four dollars a week. So. How about how about average loaf of bread twenty two cents? Yeah, twenty cents you can get a loaf of bread. How about the average house price two thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars, man? Is that right? How about that? Buy a couple houses, Mister Allendale. House hunt yourself right now. The average cost of a new house in sixty three. This is a new one is nineteen thousand three hundred. Wow. And the average income per year was four thousand three ninety six. But uh. Jerry Harkness. Boy, have boy, things have changed. How about that, man? What do you remember about 1963 in terms of sports? Just well, I, obviously that, Loyola Chicago winning. What do you remember about that specifically? Well, I mean, they, they, first. Beat, they played Cincinnati in the championship game. Cincinnati was striving at that time to become the first team in history to win three straight national titles. They had won back-to-back titles, which made up for a, a disappointing era when, when Oscar Robinson played for Cincinnati, but they didn't get... They didn't win a national championship, so I, I remember that. And uh, and the game went into overtime, and they managed to pull it out. And uh, it's been, you know, 63. That's a long time ago. Jer- Jerry Harkness was the best player on the team, or, or Les Hunter was the big man. They both played in the NBA for a while. Well, they, just taking it to this this year, right, 2018, right? So fast forward 55 years, you're, you're still fighting strong there, Mr. Allen Dell, still getting hot takes on the mic and whatnot, but – Specifically, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. I, obviously, they won right their last, their only title that year in 1963 for men's college basketball. But 
Were they the Cinderella, the darlings that they are now? Was that a program you thought would be around as, as maybe a more of a major program throughout the years? Because they're coming out of the Missouri Valley Conference, right? And we just talked about it earlier. Creighton, Wichita State, two teams that were in the tournament this year that had seeds eight or higher. They both left the Missouri Valley Conference after last year. So what do you remember about that program, and does it surprise you that they're here now after all these decades later? Well, that was, that was a very good program for a long time, and then it just dropped off and faded out of the picture. I, I don't know what happened, but it, it was strong. Well, uh, Chicago was, a, you could say, a basketball powerhouse back in those days. So not the Cinderella they are now, so to speak, comparing the two teams, huh? Uh, you, I guess you could say not, but Cinderella is a funny word. Uh, believe it or not, Loyola is one of the most experienced teams in the Final Four. Uh, their starting lineup, they have two seniors and two juniors. And then they have uh, the 6'9 freshman, Cameron Krutwig, who uh That's your boy right there, yeah, Mr. One of Lefty. One favorite players. He's the kind of guy that if you're hanging around a playground looking to pick up a starter and you see him, he's 6'9", but let's just say he wasn't 6'9". He's the kind of guy... That you kind of want to pick a lefty, tricky moves, not real fast, physical, won't back down from anybody, and likes to do a lot of ball fakes. Uh, he, 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 you love the guy. Well, they, they, you talk about the two seniors and two juniors for Loyola and going into this game, still the underdog. Let's not forget that Loyola has beaten a three seed already in this tournament, going up against another three seed in Michigan. They beat the Tennessee Volunteers, a three seed in their region in the second round. So they beat now a six seed in Miami, a three seed in Tennessee. They beat the Nevada Wolfpack, a seven seed. They beat Kansas State, a nine seed. Now another three seed matchup in the final four against Michigan. I see them winning this ball game, not just covering the spread and keeping things close, but Michigan coming into this game is a five and a half point favorite against the Ramblers. I think a lot of people are just assuming the run is done for Loyola. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think this team is by any means at the end of its rope or its run. And you look at them, they're easily the most disciplined team especially on the offensive side of things where they move the ball around, they get good shots, they know when to pass, when to take the open shot. This team reminds me a lot about the Butler Bulldogs that made back-to-back -back Final Four runs and almost beat the vaunted Florida Gators in the national championship game when Gordon Hayward's shot fell short at the buzzer there. So uh, that, that team, like I said, was one shot away from potentially tying, sending the national title game in overtime or winning that game. I don't see that why this Loyola Chicago team, which isn't going to face those Gators, which won back-to-back -back national titles, why they can't beat Michigan and then win again in the national championship. Well, here They'd be the first 11 seed to do so ever. One interesting stat for me is three teams in the Final Four are shooting 40% from three-point land. And the one team that isn't is Michigan, which is shooting 36%. That's a good stat right so, there. Uh, and, and Michigan's the worst free-throw shooting team yeah, at all yeah, four, too. Not, they almost lost that game. You you watch that Florida State game in the Elite Eight, it feels like Michigan had a double-digit lead the entire time. But when you look at the box score, they wound up winning by four points. Let's not get into Leonard Hamilton not fouling there at the end. I mean, that's a controversy that's that's been over the airwaves the last couple days since it happened and, and his response to J Dana Jacobson post-game in the interview. But... This Michigan team, like you said, shaky shooters from the three-point line and from the free-throw line. That, that, that could come back to bite them in John Bayline's squad right there. Yeah, Loyola's got three starters shooting 40 above 40% on three-pointers. Shout-out to Clayton Custer, man. Yeah, well, he's shooting 45.4% on three, so he's, he's obviously the best one. Well, you got a team that can move the ball and find the open shot. The percentages are going to be high for the most part, you know? Yeah, I think the best bet on Saturday, if you're a betting person, take the points, take Loyola. It's not that long a deal it's not that cinderella of a deal 
and I don't understand it. They're still the, the old folks or, or the traditionalists are just thinking Big Ten, which reminds me the great ACC that had nine teams in the tournament, doesn't have one in the Final Four. And the SEC that was considered so great doesn't have one team in the Final Four. Well, you know, here, here's an interesting thing we talked about before the tournament. You go a couple weeks back when we were breaking down the, the uh, you know, Sunday selection special, and we talked about Loyola Chicago as a team that was being underrated or underseated because this is a team that was receiving top 25 votes, right? So they were getting votes as one of the top 25 teams in the country. I believe on the last, on Selection Sunday, the last Sunday before the tournament started, they had they were the team with the most votes for the top 25 outside of the top 25, so meaning that they were ranked, quote-unquote, 26th in the country at that time. If they were a more of a bigger program, a, a, a major school, I'm sure they would have easily been in that top 25. But this is a team that hasn't been around lately, so that, that recency bias is there. That team is it could be one of the top 20, 15 teams in the country going into this tournament. So overall, when you look at that, it's not so surprising what they've done. I had them in the Sweet 16 on every single bracket I filled out because I knew they would make that run. However, I thought in the Sweet 16 they would be playing a two-seed Cincinnati or they would be playing a, a, a four-seed Arizona. I didn't think that they would get that road that they've gotten. And now that they've already proven they can beat these teams, why can't they beat another three-seed is what I'm saying. Well, they can. I, I mean, they're only the fourth. 11 seed to make the final four, you know, and that's LSU 86, George Mason, and that's VCU. And I, I just, something tells me in the, the way this feels that they're better than that George Mason and VCU team. The way that, I mean, this, let's not forget, these guys completely throttled Kansas State, which beat a good Kentucky team, which we can keep going back each round and breaking that down, but. It's going to be a very entertaining game, to say the, say the least. You could say these are the, probably the, the top two underdogs in the tournament facing off right now, the, the four teams that are left, because Villanova and Kansas on the other side, either team that wins that game is going to be the clear-cut favorite to win the national title game. So we'll be right back here on Go Baller FFS, talk a little bit. Nova, Kansas, of the Blue Blood special of the Final Four. Be right back. All right, we are back here on Go Baller FFS, our weekly triple-double podcast. Just tuned in here to our Throwback Thursday, taking it back to 1963 segment with the godfather, Mr. Alan Dell. Fast-forwarding 55 years, five-plus decades here, and talking about the Blue Blood special, the Final Four, Supernova versus the Kansas Jayhawks. Champagne, Supernova, Jay Wright squad. We got the two number one seeds facing off the chalk side, of the NCAA bracket for March Madness 2018. And just a, an interesting story going into this game is, how, how about this, a, a feel-good story for the Kansas Jayhawks that they, they didn't have anything more to feel good about following the, their overtime win over Duke in the Elite Eight is that the country of Nigeria has approved Yudoka Azabuki's mother, Avisa, to travel to the USA to watch her son play in her first ever college basketball game. How about that for some NCAA magic, Mr. Allen Dell, going into this matchup? Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's why Kansas is a fan favorite, and I don't mean betting favorite, but fan favorite. I think Villanova won it two years ago. I think the public's looking 
for somebody else to win it. Obviously, Loyola is is the fan favorite, not the betting favorite, but the fan favorite. And Kansas is up there too. Uh, right. Well, Kansas it feels like a big underdog in this game. Well, they felt like big under. They, it's funny because they were the number one seed, but I think to most people they felt like underdogs against Duke too. Yeah, absolutely. But, but. they they pulled that out, and and Malik Newman, what what, what an overtime scoring all thirteen of Kansas points. Devonte Graham, obviously with a big game. I was telling you earlier, I don't think there's a team that has a better backcourt talking about point guard, shooting guard combo than Kansas does. And everyone talks about guard play being so important. Why can't Kansas's backcourt lead them to a national title and Bill Self finally get a ring? Well, Villanova's got a pretty good backcourt led by Jalen Brunson. Now the now the NCAA Naismith Player of the Year. AP Player of the Year. He AP averaged, Player, yeah. Averaged 19.3 points per game. Uh, I mean, they've been the most dominant team. They've won their games by an average of 18.3 points per game. I don't know what exactly how important that is. Uh, they've hit 41.4% of their three-point shots. But I thought the most impressive thing was last game against Texas Tech. They really shot poorly from three-point line and still won by 12 points over Texas Tech. So that, that had to be impressive. That they're, they're very good from the free-throw line, 83.7%. Uh, you don't want Leonard Hamilton coaching against them. Oh, God, no. And when we talked about the bracket, let's say the, the road that each team has been on, right? Kansas, yeah, they, they struggled in their opening round game to 16-seeded Penn. They wound up winning the game by double digits, almost 20 points at the end of that game. Second round, not so tough as an opponent. Sweet 16, they beat a Clemson team, which is I'm not sure how good they really were. They finally got their first real test in the Elite Eight and, and played a Duke team that some thought would win the national title and, and some thought were the clear-cut favorites behind Villanova to, to win the title this year. So when you look at that overall, I would say maybe Kansas, at least in this last week, is more battle-tested coming off that win against Duke. Or does Villanova have more of an advantage because they haven't necessarily been all that battle-tested? That you, you could argue the best team they've played throughout this tournament is a as a three-seeded Texas Tech team. I mean, who who has had the easier road to get here, in your opinion? And th does that matter? Will that play any role in this matchup between the two number one seeds here? No, no, I, I don't know how much that, that's going to matter. It's, it's who's hot at the last time. Um, look at it, Malik Newman. He only averaged 14 points a game. For the season, and yet he was on fire the last game and against the victory over Duke. I, I didn't like the Duke's defense in that game. Uh, I don't know what Coach K was playing, a 1 3 1, but he left the corners open, and, and you don't leave a corner shooter open in, in a tie game with about a minute to go because for a, a shooter, a guy that's a good shooter, he's going to make that shot maybe 65, 70% of the time. Well, how about Azabuki, the big man for Kansas, fouls out at the end of the game, and they don't go to Marvin Bagley. I think Bagley took nine shots in that game, and Grayson Allen and Gary Trent Jr. took, a, what, a combined 30-plus shots together. So you talk about the defense. I don't even know about the offense here when you talk about Coach K and the Duke Blue Devils, but looking at the National Player of the Year, Jalen Brunson, 30, 36, 36 of 65 votes. Pretty impressive when you're getting more than half of the first place votes overall. In the, the same panel that picks the AP Top 25, Trey Young, your boy, 15 votes in second place, and then Arizona freshman DeAndre Ayton. So out of the top three, we got Brunson the junior and then the other two freshmen behind him for player of the year. How good is Jalen Brunson? I don't look at him as an NBA player. I look at him as the, um, you know, the I guess the ideal college guard, a guy who's mature, has a good head on his shoulders, may not have the best size, 
may not have the best speed or athleticism, but the guy knows how to run an offense. He knows not to get carried away. He knows how to play within his own role, and he's surrounded by a ton of athletic guys that know how to shoot the hell out of the ball. So if Brunson can keep doing his thing, I, I like Devontae Graham better. If you compare point guards, I would take Devontae Graham on my team, whether it's pickup or NCAA basketball. In that case, I would take Malik Newman over any of the shooting guards that they have. I know that Villanova has Mikhail Bridges, maybe more of a three-wing player, but I think Mikhail Bridges may be the, maybe the what top NBA prospect in this game, uh, maybe the top NCAA player in that sense. But like I said, Kansas to me has the backcourt, and as long as they can keep as a bookie out of foul trouble, I think that they're yeah. they're going to fare pretty well in this game. Yeah, they're they're only six and four when he has four more fouls in a single game. So you got to be leery of that. And I, I well, like, one of those wins against Duke, though. Don't forget and, and that. I like uh, Villanova's big man, six nine freshman Amari Spielman. He, yeah. He's shooting forty four point six percent from three point land. You know what you got to like about Villanova? Their their shooting is a, a tremendous. Among their top four starters, they got three guys shooting over 41% on threes. Uh, and Spellman shooting 44.6. He doesn't take that many. And th- these are two veteran teams. No more one-and-dones. I mean, Villanova's got, they're starting two juniors, three juniors, four juniors, excuse me, a sophomore, and if you a freshman in. So that's their top six, six players. And there's only two sophomores in Kansas starting lineup, and they got two seniors and a junior. So the one and done is maybe has to do with teams more than players. It's funny you look at the depth overall in this team. Villanova plays eight guys in their win over Texas Tech. How about Kansas? And I talked about this in the last one. I thought this was going to be their demise against Duke because Kansas has no depth. They play seven guys overall. Two guys come off the bench out of, what, the 15-plus guys that are cheering there on the sidelines. I mean, Devontae Graham, he could definitely pick it up. He only scored 11 points against Duke, albeit six assists and six rebounds to go along with that. Uh, Kansas really won that game on the boards. 17 offensive rebounds for Kansas, obviously exploiting that zone. But they also had 20 assists. This is a team that's unselfish, that moves the ball around. And you look at the other side in Villanova. How about Villanova? Seven assists in their win over Texas Tech. You could say that's because some of their shots weren't falling overall. But, um, you know, can't, uh, Villanova does rebound the ball as well. I'd like to see which team can control the boards, if it's going to be even, if it's going to be lopsided one way. I mean, Villanova against Texas Tech, 20 offensive rebounds, 51 rebounds as a team overall. Kansas, 47 rebounds as a team overall. So who's going to win that battle on the glass, regardless of the outside shooting, could really help determine the outcome of this game? Well, if you're a betting man, you got to go with Villanova because roster-wise, they have the, they have the best team on the roster, but that doesn't always uh, lead to a victory. Uh, a little bit of technical difficulty there, folks, sports world. But looking at the line overall here on Vegas Insider, Villanova favored by five points over Kansas. To me, that's just that's all, that's almost the same spread as Michigan versus Loyola Chicago. So you're saying that Nova's that much of a better team than the Kansas Jayhawks. I'm not buying the spread on either of these games. I think both underdogs cover, and both underdogs might just win outright. I mean, you talk about Kansas' backcourt. What about Villanova's backcourt of Jalen Brunson and Mikel Bridges? You know, 17.8, 19.2 points, respectively. That's pretty good backcourt. Maybe one, maybe the best in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Mikhail Bridge is probably the most talented and, player on the floor. I and mean, Villanova leads the country in scoring, for whatever that's worth. They're number one in scoring. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's it's a team that's been high powered all season. Obviously, repping the Big East Conference. I mean, this is you look at the Blue Bloods, right? We we call them Blue Bloods. I mean. 
look at the last five to ten years. Let's let's look at the last five years, right? From 2012-13 up until this point in time, Villanova's had the best basketball program in the country, year in and year out. You got to give kudos to Jay Wright on that because the cult, the culture there has been established. I mean, you, you can't you can't knock that there. Obviously, Bill Self's been consistent. People say he hasn't, uh, you know. Uh, maybe matched his the expectations going into the tournaments. He's obviously exceeded them this year, or at least matched them because they're the number one seed. Right, they should be getting to the final four according to the seeding. But uh, what's one thing you're looking forward to for this weekend for these well, games? I, I know the Villanova's going to have the best dress coach in the tournament. So. I think everybody hey, knows that one, as they call him GQJ. Uh, there you go. That's what his players call him. How many points that's worth, you never know. It takes some of the pressure off him, right? So. Well, how about, how about this? Maybe a little Sister Jean versus Jay Wright oh, action yeah, in the national just, title just, game, man. Sister Jean is, her bobblehead dolls are selling like crazy. Uh, and she just granted Loyola Chicago the right to use her name in selling merchandise. So expect more Sister Jean selfies and T-shirts might, and more coming soon. She might be getting a call from LeVar Ball soon. Uh, uh, for questions on how do you make that big money because he's not doing too good with his overpriced sneakers. Maybe LeVar Ball can make her some custom water bottles. They have some Sister Jean water bottles for you. We'll be right back with a final quick segment here on some NBA playoff talk. are back with a final segment here on our Go Baller Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dell, the mad journalist sitting here with the godfather, Mr. Alan Dell, here to talk some more hoops, some NBA action now. We just got a handful, right? A handful is five fingers. We got about five games or less for each team remaining in the NBA, maybe six for a few squads out there. We got the tankathon going on between, well, uh, between half the league now at this point, trying to tank the rest of their season away to get a good draft pick. But we got some interesting developments looking at the rest of the NBA playoff landscape. Soon in the next week or so, we're going to have our official seeds for the playoffs. And we've got injuries galore. Steph Curry going to be missing the first round. We still got John Wall out. LaMarcus Aldridge recently leaving the Spurs with a knee injury. Kawhi Leonard still not back. Is he ever going to be back in a Spurs uniform, period? I have no idea. I don't know, man. Mr. Allen Dell, you tell me. We just had news that Joel Embiid's going to be missing two to four weeks now for the Philadelphia 76ers. If he misses a couple of their first-round games, you could, kiss, you could almost kiss the playoffs goodbye for that team. I mean, uh, some of these injuries really worry me because they're key, key players, star players on big teams that have big aspirations. What are your thoughts going into the rest of this NBA regular season and shaping up for the playoffs? Well, my thoughts are that these injuries seem to happen too much every year, and I'm wondering if the NBA schedule with its travel, cross-country, back-to-back, especially if it's a road game, of just wearing players out. This happens the last three, four years at this time of year. There's so many injuries, and, and the type of injuries that, that are wear and tear on your body. I mean, Embiid getting hit in the face. Well, I don't think that has anything to do with travel, but but so many other reasons. Isaiah Thomas, he's done for the year. Right. Well, let's not mention Kyrie Irving still out for the Celtics. Yeah, he, may, he may not come back for the playoffs. Kudos to Brad Stevens. Like I've been saying, best coach in the NBA outside of Popovich. The Celtics on a five-game winning streak without their best player, still holding strong for that second seed in the Eastern Conference. That's mighty, mighty impressive for Boston. They're seven and three in their last ten. Right now, you'd be looking at a first-round match of a Boston versus Miami. Miami. 
at the 2-7. Toronto versus the Milwaukee Bucks with the 1 versus the 8. Cleveland facing the Wizards. And then a 4-5 between the Sixers and the Pacers. If Embiid's not back for that matchup, Pacers might sweep that series, man. Yeah. Well, kudos to LeBron James. He uh, tied Michael Jordan with most, most consecutive games with at least 10 points or double figures, 866. They're tied. Uh, in third place is Kareem, Carl Malone after that, and Kevin Durant. So I think that's kudos to him. Again, I'm st I still believe that LeBron James is the MVP of the league. Uh, this James Harden thing without Chris Paul, he wouldn't be doing anywhere near with what he's doing now. So Well, then I'm going to talk about the NBA MVP race because it's almost always going to go to the quote-unquote best player on the team with the best record, right? Well, Notice I, I, how we didn't say the best team. We said best player on the team with the best record. Is Harden even the best player on his team? I think they're giving it to Harden because last year they felt bad that they gave it to Russell Westbrook. I remember when LeBron James used to be the king of the regular season, and James Harden is now the new king of the regular season. And you, that's right, I'm not saying playoffs because you just look at James Harden's playoff history and you tell me when he has ever stepped up his game come playoff time. He's playing for an MVP. He's not even playing to win the real championship trophy right now, man. He may change this year with Chris Paul. He's made all the difference in the world on the Rockets team. I don't, I don't and you know. Got you know, Eric Bledsoe dropping in those threes. So. Uh, you're looking at a first-round matchup right now. If the playoffs started today, Houston Rockets versus Utah Jazz. I'll say it for the 13th time on this damn podcast. Utah Jazz are going to beat the Rockets in a seven-game series if they play each other, whether that's the first round, second round, or third round. Rockets will not get past the Golden State Warriors unless Kevin Durant or Steph Curry is out for that series. Mark my words. D'Antoni and James Harden will show their true colors when the NBA playoffs come, my friends. I don't care how many games they win in a row in the regular season. James Harden, lock up your MVP. Have fun with it. The only chance you guys have to do anything is because of Chris Paul and Chris Paul alone, and that's a fact. Yeah, one of the most impressive wins of the season came last night when the Celtics beat you beat the Jazz at Utah. That was without Kyrie Irving. That was basically. Totally surprising. That, well, that was a shock. People were shocked that Butler made those deep runs in the NCAA tournaments because Brad Steven is the wonder kid, the, the official wonder kid coach of basketball, college level, and the NBA. This guy knows how to rally his team and get them to play right on both sides, get them to play discipline. Basketball is what we're talking about, whether it's Loyola Chicago in college or the teams like the Utah Jazz and the Boston Celtics. I look at them as very similar teams. They're very balanced scoring teams. They know how to move the ball around. They play tough defense. I, I'm telling you, man, people are going to be surprised when Boston overexceeds their expectations because right now people aren't expecting too much out of them. I think Boston will be Cleveland in a head-to-head -head series. I think Boston will be Toronto in a head-to-head -head series. I still think Boston, in my opinion, is the favorite to get out of the Eastern Conference. And Outside of Kyrie Irving being completely ruled out for the year, that's not going to change for me. Yeah. What are you looking forward to most at all these potential matchups going in? We got four, five, six games left for some of these teams here. Well, I mean, the, the East is really interesting. Toronto is, is just about locked up for the best record. And the season ended today, Toronto and Milwaukee would uh, go head-to-head -head a best out of seven. Well, they're all best out of seven. That, that'd be interesting. And Boston-Miami is, is, would be very interesting. And you'd have Cleveland playing Washington. And they're all good matchups in the East. I yeah. mean, even one through eight, Toronto, Milwaukee, out of Milwaukee's hit a little slump. Right now, Miami's playing very well. Boston, with its injuries, nothing's for sure. Well, how about one loss separating in the West, this, the, the 
fifth seed from the eighth seed. And how yeah. about between the fourth seed and the eighth seed, only two losses separating all those teams there. Yeah, they all have 33 losses. And then you got to throw in the last seventh and eighth have 33. And then you have to throw in the Clippers ninth. Denver 10th, and they've got 34 and 34 losses respectively. So. 34 and 35. I mean, look, yeah, but Den- Denver's lost two in a row. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They, I think they passed the point where they were peaking this season. I, I don't cons- I don't think Denver's going to do it because at this point, even being one or two games out in that race is, is a huge difference to make up because all these teams are winning games, man. Utah 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Spurs, even with all their injuries, 6-4 and four in their last 10. Blazers and Thunder, both 7-3 and three respectively. I mean, look, the, the, if you're looking at first-round upsets galore, the, the way the seeding is right now, and this could change tomorrow, it's going to change the day after, but if the playoffs started today, you got Houston-Utah, that's an upset. you got Portland-San Antonio. If LaMarcus Aldridge plays, maybe Kawhi, that could be an easy upset for the Spurs to beat the Blazers in seven games. Pelicans over the Thunder in seven games. You could be looking at almost every matchup in the Western Conference being an upset, and most people are expecting the chalk to go in that I'm, I'm guessing that Golden State does not want to play Minnesota, especially if Minnesota gets Jimmy Butler. Back. That's another, especially the if, they, if they don't have Steph Curry and they're playing with Jimmy Butler at somewhat full health, then watch out because you could be seeing upsets in every single matchup in the Western Conference. Developing hot right there. That's that that is developing hot because no one's expect. Everyone is expecting Golden State versus Houston. Golden State versus Houston. What other team? Oh, Portland's not for real. Everyone says Oklahoma City is that third, that distant third. But that's only because of the star power with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Why not the Spurs? Why not Anthony Davis leading his team deep into the playoffs as, as arguably the best big man in the league right now, right? Outside of him and B, Carl Anthony Towns, you don't have any bigger big men playing better than those three big guys right there. And then the Clippers would surprise me if they got in. Talk about Doc Rivers, a hell of a coaching job with the lack of talent or star power on that team. The fact they're still in the Western Conference playoff race. Uh, I think Donovan Mitchell, I mean, it, you know, one hell of a rookie of the year race between him and Ben Simmons because those are two strong playoff teams looking like going into this uh, 2018 NBA playoff race. It's going to be interesting to see which one wins. Maybe it's a co-rookie of the year. I don't know, but I could say that they confidently that both of those players deserve it, regardless of which one actually wins it in the end. Right. What's your, uh, what, what's your final thoughts here wrapping things up, man? No, I just think the playoffs are going to be exciting this year. Forget about people were saying before the season, oh, it's another boring year. Golden State's going to win. I would not. I, I As I said before, I, I would not be surprised if Golden State plays Minnesota and, and Minnesota has Jimmy Butler. They knocked Golden State off in the first round. It could happen. We got the three longest winning streaks in the NBA right now. Rockets, winners of 10 in a row. We got the 76ers, winners of eight in a row. And very impressive for the young Sixers squad right there. And then, like I said, the Boston Celtics earlier, even without Kyrie Irving, winners of five games in a row. So which teams are going to be peaking? A lot, I mean, a lot of times you could go into the playoffs with a 10-game winning streak and then lose in the first round. So it's, it's not really – it's going to be interesting to see how these – it's all going to be about the matchups, especially in the first round, because a lot of these teams are equal. We talk about parity in college basketball, parity in the NBA now more than ever, because like you said, this, there's no clear-cut path to another Cavaliers and Warriors final series at least the least this is the least it's been in the last three to four years since they started playing each other in the finals so you can damn sure say that it's going to be fun to watch and we'll be back with some more picks next week some more breakdowns once these brackets and these playoff matchups actually get set in stone here on go baller ffs we'll see you next time sports world